Today in Canadian history for February the 9th, I'm Joe Barima. Glance up to the sky this evening. Odds are the blackness will be tinted not just by celestial beauty, but by the urban landscape that is dominant in parts of Canada. Well, the February 9th night back in 1913 was dramatically different. It was a sky comparatively unpolluted by artificial light, dark but for the stars. Except for, that is, about three and a half minutes around 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For several minutes, an incredibly rare and spectacular fireball procession lit up the night sky. Unlike a meteor shower that has flashes of light fading towards the surface, a procession is when an earth-grazing meteorite breaks apart, traveling across the sky from horizon to horizon. A very rare event, the spellbinding light show of 1913 only covered about a quarter of the Earth's circumference, treating Canadians to a rare and spectacular sight. Randall Rosenfeld is the archivist of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. Well, it seems that, um, because I described in the early evening, so if you were in Ontario, it would have been around 9 o'clock, just a little after that. Um, it seems to have been a decently clear sky, and all of a sudden, um, <laughs> there was the apparition of these lights, and, and people looked up, because, you know, it would get your attention, you wouldn't expect it. People look up, you know, they're described variously, um, say, different groups of, uh, of, of, of moving bodies, look like meteorites, um, could be red color, yellow color, even white, or, you know, white with tinges of blue, um, moving surprisingly slowly and in a regular path, um, going from the northwest to the southeast, and just putting on the show. And it lasted for an incredible... It lasted... I mean, for one of these events, if you think, you see a meteorite, almost everyone in Canada who's not in the city who can actually see the night sky, you know, at some point in their life, they get to see a meteor, and it doesn't last very long. Just like a flash. This thing appears to have lasted anywhere from, well, depending on the observer, two and a half minutes up to five minutes. Usually, if you see these things, if you're lucky enough to see these things, you're not going to see more than... Oh, I don't know, two or three, if you're really lucky. And from the accounts of this stuff, there seem to have been at least 15 major groups of these things. And according to some observers, there could have been hundreds, or even maybe up to a thousand, you know, you know different bodies of different sizes. What what do we know about how people reacted? Um, I mean, this is this is an uh, amazing event. Um, how do people interpret it? Uh, what, what type of stories were, were told about it? Very interesting. Um, the guy who wrote the first scientific report, and probably the major scientific report, uh, C.A. Chant, he set out to collect as many of those reports as possible. So, and, and people were quite forthcoming about what they thought. Of course, they were sending this to a scientist, so I guess a lot of them thought they should be as factual as possible. But even then, even then, you get little hints of, of, uh, of, of things coming in. One of the, I'll give you an example. There's a guy called uh, Colonel Winter. And he uh, he saw this from Bermuda, as one of the most as one of the longest, most uh, circumstantial reports. It's very you know he, he talks about the you know the, the the angular distance in the sky, how far up they were, how many of them there were, um, details about the color, any sounds. But two of the descriptions he used were about shape, and he talked about some being almost scimitar shaped and others being almost egg shaped which is amazing because if you look at some of the accounts of, of comets and, and meteorites from the 17th and early 18th century, they use exactly the same terms. 
And those are and a lot of those accounts that use those terms of, of scimitar-shaped bodies or egg-shaped bodies um, were some of the more um, how would I put this lurid accounts from the 17th century. You know, talking about prophecies and disasters. So to see that sort of language last over those hundreds of years was rather surprising. Other people were afraid that uh, this event heralded the end of the world or some sort of disaster. Um, I'd say by the early 19th century, uh, by the early 20th century, that wasn't a majority view, but there's still some people around who thought that. This was just three years after the 1910 apparition of, of, uh, of Comet Halley, which, um, created, which created quite a stir uh, around the world. And there were some cases of mass hysteria in the States about people worried about uh, the Earth passing through the comet's tail, would everyone be asphyxiated, it wasn't, you know, would it be the end of the world? So some of that attitude was still around. Had this, had this been mainly observed, had it mainly happened over American airspace, it would be a much better known event um, and, and much more closely studied. Um, we have a ten- I'm sure you found this, you're know, working on the series. We have a tendency in Canada not to, uh, not to herald our achievements or the strange things that happen here as much as other countries do. So in a way, it's not been studied as much as it could be. As always, today is a day full of Canadian history. George Renfrew, the eventual owner of what would be known as Holt Renfrew, was born on this day back in 1830 in Quebec City. And, funded by the CPR, the Vancouver Opera House opened on this day back in 1891. And as always, on this day we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. For more information on the series, join our Facebook page and visit our website at cjsw.com slash today in Canadian history. Mm-hmm.